Raise your joys and the triumphs high. turn now to our confession of faith. We are going to meditate on what the resurrection means, and the resurrection is our hope that God will swallow up death, and that he will invite us to this great feast in the kingdom of God, and that's what our texts are about, and the Galarnos are going to read them for us, so thank you. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Luke 13, 22 through 30. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. 
when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That last scripture text makes us ask questions like, who will be able to sit at this table? Uh, when it says the, the last will be first and the first who are last, and, and the, the beauty of the scripture, it says those who come who are part of the kingdom of God are those who are saved by grace. That God dwells with the broken and contrite, meaning it's okay for us together to say, I'm not okay, because God dwells with the broken and contrite. Oh. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. This prayer from the Valley of Vision, it's an old prayer. It's a beautiful prayer that, that gets us to say to God and to one another, we have seen that we need mercy. We need Christ's death and resurrection. And so let's, let's pray together, and then there will be a time of, of where you can talk to Jesus directly to confess your sin and to confess your need of help. And that's what those scriptures are there for you as well after. So let, let us pray together. Oh, Father, we are gathered before you, the maker of heaven and earth, whose chosen dwelling place is with the broken and contrite, to confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed. We have not loved you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not even loved our neighbor as ourselves. In your mercy, deepen our sorrow for the wrong we have done and for the good we have left undone so that we may hate our sin with a holy hatred. But please, Father, do not leave us in sorrow. With you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. For the sake of Christ Jesus now and the fame, the glory of your mercy, restore unto us the joy of our salvation so that we might love you with a holy love. Amen. Take a moment now to pray to Jesus who hears our cries, who holds fast to us in love. Well, hear now these words of encouragement, the assurance of pardon because of what happened that first Easter weekend 
that Christ has died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. Jesus says to us from Revelation, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, it's okay to say we're not okay because we hear yet again, you are loved by our God and Father, by his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit dwells within you. Rest in him. Rest in him. All right, well, I'd, we're going to turn, and I'd like to teach the kids. And so if, if you're a kid, I think it would be helpful if I could see some of your faces, if it's possible. Um, even if I just see you jumping and dancing around, I'll, I'll be happy one way or the other. Um, yeah, I unmuted it. You muted it? Well, oh, crap, he heard All me. Right. I'm starting <laughs> to see a couple faces pop up here. <laughs> um, all right, so this morning, what I want to do for our, our special time of teaching is to talk a little bit about what to expect for the sermon. And I told my kids, this would be really cool if you could do this, as you're listening to the sermon this morning, um, draw a picture of, of something that you learned and, and, and take a picture of it with your phone, your parents' phone, well, ask them first, <laughs> and send it to me, and we'll, we'll share that later. But what I want to talk about this morning in our sermon as we listen to the scriptures is we're going to talk about God's kindness. God is kind. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a merciful, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And a steadfast love, another way you could talk, describe that is God's kindness. He's full of kindness. He's abounding with it. He overflows. Right? He, he takes care of us. And so if I was going to ask you guys, the kids, a question, how many of you have ever had a birthday party? Just raise your hand. All right. I see some hands going up. Yeah, me too. Did you invite your friends or the people that you did not like? I'm pretty sure we all choose to invite our friends, the people like us. See, in our story this morning, we're going to hear about Elisha, God's prophet, who, who tells the king of Israel, I want you to throw a party, throw a feast for the Syrian army, those who, are, who have attacked and killed you. Is that not kind? That's a crazy story. I'm going to throw a big party, and I want to bring everybody to the party that has tried to kill me in the past. He did that because he was acting like God. That's what happened on Easter. Right? When Jesus died on the cross, because God is kind, he died for his enemies so that we might be able to eat and drink with him. And so when you think of Easter, think of God's kindness. And God in his kindness through Jesus says, I want you to come to my party and to enjoy my kindness. It's going to be a, a joyful, joyful day. So, so as you listen to the sermon, that's your job today. See what, see what pictures you can come up with 
draw a great party and show me who you've invited to that feast. And think about it, how can I be kind then to the people I live with? All right, thanks guys, good listening. If you have a Bible, I'm gonna read our story. It's from uh, 2 Kings chapter six. I'm gonna read verses eight to 23. This may not seem like an Easter sermon, but it will. we will get to the death and resurrection of Jesus. All right, in this great series we've been in as a church, I've, I hope you've been encouraged by it. It's this beautiful picture of how God has always worked through trouble and evil for the good of those who love him. That God's grace is at work even now in the midst of our troubles. And specifically in, the, in Kings, it's God using the kindness of a young Hebrew slave girl who was kidnapped, forced to work for a Syrian military tyrant named Naaman, the man who was likely responsible for the death of her parents. And she chose to forgive him and to send him to Israel to get help from Elisha to heal his leprosy. Right? And, and that has led us to where we are now. Naaman went and got healed. He went back home. And listen to how, what happens after Naaman goes home. So let's read God, God's word. So verse 8, the word of our God. It says, once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? <laughs> and one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And so it was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And so he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria, 
As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And he answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, sent them away, and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us right now today in love. Let's let's pray before we look at this. Our Father in heaven, we pray now like Elisha that you would open our eyes to see the uncountable ways that you are keeping us safe by your grace and open our eyes especially today on easter sunday to see the truth the goodness and the beauty of our savior jesus who was crucified for sinners dead buried and risen all for our good so may your words form us into a people today who are strong and courageous and abnormally kind to our neighbors because you are with us because the gospel of jesus is forming us into people like him. And so we ask this in the name of Jesus who loved us while we were still his enemies and who loves us now. Amen. Well, like I said, this is not your ordinary Easter passage, but I do promise you that we will get to the resurrection. We will end up at the empty tomb and it's gonna be, this is such a cool passage. But if you look at the, the text, we can start with a problem. There is a big problem in the passage. It's, it's a human problem, especially in times of trouble and confusion. It's telling us that we can't see. We can't see what in the world God is doing. There's God at any one moment is up to in his sovereignty 10,000 things, says John Piper. We're only ever aware of like two or three of them. We can't see. And so what I want to do is look at this passage. It's going to teach us some things about God's amazing grace. And I'll use the lyrics from the hymn from Amazing Grace that uh, I once was blind and now I see. Those are the two points. I once was blind, but now I see. And so let's look at the blindness. Look at the blindness. There are two kinds of blindness woven throughout this story. You're going to see all kinds of people blind to God's mercy, his kindness, his forgiveness. And you're also going to see people who are blind to God's protection. And so just so you have those lenses as, you look, as we go through this again. But look at the context. You have two, two people groups at war in the ancient world. You have Israel, God's people, and you have Syria. So you have Israel, the weak, Syria, the strong, and Syria has been coming down from the north, down into the south, into weaker Israel, burning villages, kidnapping children slaughtering parents, carrying off money and women, um, all kinds of horrific crimes against humanity. Not good. And the way Elisha, we read, has been keeping Israel safe, so it's not worse than it could be. Um, well, he's been giving military counsel to the king. He's been sending messages of saying, God's told me that the king of Syria is going to camp here, so don't go past that place, otherwise you'll get attacked. And so that's why you get this funny conversation right in the beginning of the, the passage where the king is of Syria is just 
ticked off because every time he tries to attack Israel, they know ahead of time and escape. And so the, the rightful conclusion is one of you, my servants, must be a spy. Who are you? And, the, and his servants say, well, it's not me. It's Elisha, the prophet. This prophet in Israel who even hears your pillow talk. And I think they're, they're exaggerating here a little bit. They, he hears the words that you say in your bedroom. Right, so careful what you say to your wives. And what's so evil about what the king of Syria is doing, which is showing you his blindness? Um, the God of kindness, the God of mercy, has just healed him, healed Naaman, the king of Syria's right-hand man. Right, the kindness that's meant to lead him to repentance the kindness that, that, that's meant to lead him to change, the kindness that is meant to put the sword away for love of your neighbor, he can't see it. And so he's just stubbornly doing what he wants to do. And so he raids Israel again. And that's, that's what happens. He makes this great plan. We're going to kill Elisha. He sends his army, chariots, horses. I mean, chariots are like the ancient equivalent of tanks. And they surround this city of Dothan where Elisha is. And you can picture this, right? The servant of the, the servant gets up in the morning. He's doing his morning routine. He washes his face. Gets up early. He does his CrossFit or, or yoga or whatever he's doing. And he looks up, and the whole city is surrounded. Horses, chariots, talk about trouble. Not a good day. When all that you can see around you is danger, toils, and snares. Right? It's a bit like our day. And so he does what anybody would do. He panics. He runs to Elisha and says, what should we do? He's afraid. And here's the beauty of what I want you to see is listen to Elisha, the prophet, the one who knows God, who is acting as if God is with him because he is. He says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I should say that again. Hear God speaking to you and me right now in our times. Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Right. Now, why is the servant scared? Or even more pointed, why do you get anxious as we're stuck at home facing our fears? Um, I know deep down it's because we're, we don't believe God will keep us safe. We cannot see how God is keeping me, how he is protecting me, how he is keeping me safe. Right? And this is a prophet, right? The servant of the prophet is afraid. He's a religious guy. He knows God and he's still afraid. And that is what is so fantastically humbling about this passage is that everybody, Jew and Gentile, every human being, except for the prophet of God, Elisha, is blind spiritually. They cannot see what God is up to. Right? The people of God and their enemies, blind to God's care and God's mercy. Right? I mean, you got the really, really bad guys, the murderers, the violent, the soldiers. Right? The Tiger Kings of the world. <laughs> I know what some of you are doing with your, your quarantine. 
But you also have the really, really good guys, the religious, the servant, uh, the king of Israel, who's supposed to lead the way for faith, right? They're also blind to what God is doing. And so for this particular servant, when, when life hits the fan, trouble comes to his home, uh, the servant doesn't respond in faith. He responds with fear. I hope you see this. I, mean, I find this both encouraging and humbling. Um, spiritual blindness and fear does not play favorites. Uh, it's an, it afflicts every human being, myself included. It crosses ethnic lines, it crosses religious lines, it crosses social lines. What about you? What about me? Right. I mean, this is this is the the struggle on this Easter Sunday as we're wondering what is the wisdom of being of just why all this stuff is happening, even though in our heads we know as, as Bible believing Christians we know that no hair can fall from our head apart from the loving will of our Father in heaven. But some days I get anxious because I can't see God's protection. Right. So just close your eyes with me for a second. This will help illustrate it. Imagine being blind, uh, you've never seen before. And I'm gonna try and explain to you while, you're, while your eyes are closed, what a sunrise looks like. When you don't even have a context for the pinks, the reds, the oranges, the purples, all that glory and beauty that God has made and put together as the sun rises. Right? To the blind, they say, what's pink? What's red? I can't see. See, living by faith in God, in Jesus, becoming a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus is this pattern, this experience where you go from being blind to now I see. It's that dramatic of a change. It's like giving a whole new sense, a whole new way of experiencing every part of your world. Where one way time you did not see life with God, now you see life with him. And it changes. That's what happens to the servant in this passage. Because all of a sudden you're seeing 10,000 new things, different colors, different experiences in a completely new way. And all of a sudden you get a clear picture. God is caring for me. I mean, you look at the text, that's what happens. Elisha prays, Lord, please open his eyes. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. He saw and he looked up and looked around and there were legions, right, thousands of horses, chariots of fire, all surrounding Elisha. So just chew on that. What, my friends, if, if the Lord would show you that kind of picture of what is happening around those who are in Christ, God's loved ones, what would that do to your anxiety? What would that do to your fears? To know that there are more who are for us than those who are against us. Whether we see it or not. Right. So that's, that's the first part of our blindness. But the other part of the blindness in this, this passage is in the Syrian army. And they, they aren't even aware that they are blind. They don't even have a category that they are blind and missing out on what 
what Yahweh, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth is doing, right? They have no idea that they're not seeing reality. So you look at this, right? Because the Syrians are coming to attack Elisha and they have the view of God, which is we have our God, they have their God. It's great, whatever works for them, but he only works geographically. Uh, there is no one God that is true for everybody. There is no maker of heaven and earth to whom every human being owes allegiance and thanks, uh, who's, who ought to see that God cares for them and protects them. That's why I'm saying they're blind to their own blindness. They're blind to the God who kindly gives them life and health. They're blind to his everyday mercies that are new every morning. As they live their lives unaware that God cares what they do with their words, uh, with their swords, for sure with their actions. And they can't see God's protection of Elisha. They don't know about the chariots of fire. They don't even know that's an option. Right. So here's a passage from the Sermon on the Mount that helps illuminate, if you will, what, what it looks like to be blind to your own blindness. This is uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 25, where Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then he turns to people who claim to follow God and know God. He says it to religious people, to all of us. He says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters for you. They hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And then he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So you're supposed to make the connection. What you see about God and how he is caring for you is deeply connected to your anxieties. And what he's telling the Pharisees in his day, and he's telling to us, that it is of normal human reality to be blind to our blindness. That's what sin does. I just think I'm normal. I'm fine. You know, it's, you're walking around and you can't even tell you're symptomatic. You can't see it. And that's what Jesus is telling you. That's what this passage in Kings is showing us by way of story is that the Syrian army is blind to their blindness because of their master, because of the king of Syria, because they don't know the God who is, the God who is sovereign over death, governments and armies because we're so used to looking at money, looking at our own power, looking at our own comfort, looking at our own success to calm our anxieties. Do you see that connection? We're blind to our own blindness. And that's what the story is here, is to show you how you go from blindness to getting a glimpse of God's mercy and his care. Right. To see that God is at work even through trouble to open up the eyes of his own people, but even those of his enemies for sinners. Right. Are you able to admit that, that at times you're blind to your own blindness? You can say I'm good. You can say I'm generous. You can say I'm kind. I'm not a sinner. I'm better than the guy who lives down the street and votes all wrong. <laughs> right. But that's not the point. You either see or you don't. You're blind to your own blindness. We need mercy. 
And so let's go on the journey. Let's follow the Syrian army. Watch what the, the man of God, the prophet of mercy, does. He strikes the army with blindness. Except it's strange because they're still able, I mean, picturing a great army that's blind. I don't know how you organize that many people to move. I mean, it's, they're still able to follow Elisha. I mean, you can picture Elisha. He must have a smirk on his face where he says, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. All kinds of, of humor there. And he leads them to Samaria, to the capital of the king of Israel. Uh, of Israel. And what's interesting is I don't know if the army is completely blind. It seems like they see without seeing. Their eyesight's distorted. That's like a functional blindness. Because right? for a moment, you would just, just imagine this. this is what other commentators are saying too. Is They all knew they were at Dothan ready to get Elisha. They were better at directions than us. They didn't need GPS. Right? They don't get angry when their cell phone doesn't work. Right? But, but they're not seeing reality. They, they're following Elisha, the man they want to kill, but they can't recognize him. And so in one sense, they're being like, in some ways, they're just like sheep being led to the slaughter, seemingly, if you're following the story, into Samaria. And these guys who think they're about to win, they move from confidence to fear of death over a 12-mile journey from Dothan to, to Samaria. Right. And so the picture is they get into the city, they're led there, they, they have no idea how they got there or what's going on. They, they think they're going to get Elisha, who's right next to them. <laughs> and all of a sudden they, they open their eyes and they're in Samaria and the king of Israel and his armies are there. So they went from fear of, from confidence to fear of death, just like that. And the, one other blind guy in the story <laughs> is the king of Israel. Should I kill him now? Should I kill him now? <laughs> it's a great question. Just understandable. These are his enemies. These are those who have kidnapped his people. These are those who have pillaged and done horrific crimes. But all the king of Israel can think about is maybe it's justice, maybe it's vengeance. We're not really sure. But saying, shall I nuke them now or later? But instead, and this is the beauty, and this is what God wants to show us today, Easter weekend. Instead of getting a sentence of death, these Syrian soldiers are given a feast of mercy. Right? Instead of being, getting the justice they deserve for the crimes they've committed, Elisha says, no, I want you to feed them. Give them bread and water, and the king gives them a great feast. And then, they, then they're allowed to go free, to go home. They've tasted and seen that God is merciful through the actions of Elisha. That's, that's the second point here. But now I see. Right? So just, just think about how astounding this is. I mean, this is modern-day Israel having ISIS right where they want him people who've committed horrific crimes and saying, no, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to do kindness to you. Right. So, but now I see. And so what happens is they enter Samaria. Elisha said, open the eyes of these men so that they may see. The Lord opens their eyes and boom, 
behold, they see. They're in the midst of Samaria and it doesn't look good for them. And then it says, set bread and water before them so they may eat and drink and go free to their master. He prepared for them a great feast. And when they, they had ate and drunk, he sent them away. And mercy put an end to the violence. Put an end to the hostility, at least the violence. So just imagine you are Steve, the Syrian soldier. I don't know if Steve's probably not the best Syrian name, but it's an alliteration, right? You've, you've gone from confidence to seeing without seeing to now you see you're about to die, right? And then you're going, what in the world just happened? And instead of being fed a sword and death, Steve gets to eat a great feast. Jew and Gentile, seemingly. Israelite and, and someone from the nations. And he got to get, taste some of that kosher barbecue. And probably some wine. If it, it amps up from water to a feast, and a feast would be wine. And what, you're, what, what is happening whenever there's a feast in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a symbol of friendship, of, of kindness. When you eat with someone, even your enemies, you are communicating, I want to do good to you. So if you're Steve, you're walking home with your, your brothers in arms saying, what did I just see? What did I just experience? And what they saw is the, they were blind. And when, they saw, when their eyes were opened, they were shown they deserve justice, they deserve death. They were shown their sin. They were shown their wickedness. But instead, they got fed mercy and forgiveness and food. All at the command of the prophet Elisha that they were sent to kill. Right. I mean, every Syrian soldier in some ways, I mean, they didn't have, we have no idea what, what the individual experiences was, but they could say in a way, I once was blind, but now I see. And it was mercy that ended the war, that ended the battles, the military raids, because the hospitality of God that treated enemies as friends with a meal. So what do you do with all that, right? What do you do with all that? Part of it is I want you to see this is us. This is, we are the spiritually blind who need our eyes open to God's care and God's kindness. And the way to get there, according to this passage, the pattern is we need God's prophet to lead us to a meal that shows us that we deserve justice and we need the very real mercy of God. And it'll be a meal that gives you courage, to help you see the chariots of fire that will defend you if you're with God. And it'll be a meal that will then teach you like Elisha to love like God loves, even those who are different from you, different ethnically, those who believe differently. Right. So you can see where this is going, right? I mean, this is saying we need to be led to a place that shows us we are sinners. We need to be led to a meal that shows us we are at enmity, at hostility with God. Right. And if you're really struggling with this idea that you are a sinner, right, just put yourself in the story. You have your enemies at sword point. Use the metaphor of words. What words do you use in a conflict when you can win? Words of mercy, 
Or do you take the sword and drive it in to places where you know it hurts simply so you can get the bet, get the victory at the expense of someone else? Right? That's what happens when we fight. See, Elisha, God's prophet of mercy, is showing you what the gospel does. It changes you into a person that if you know this God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, overflowing with kindness, you'll be a person who's kind to their enemies, a person who's able to forgive. You'll be a person who's able to trust in the midst of trouble because you'll see that God will not and does not leave you alone. There are more for us than against us. If I stopped here and just say, go be like Elisha, the prophet of mercy, well, we'd ignore Easter for one, <laughs> but it'd be crushing. To say, go be like Elisha, who, who abounds like Yahweh in kindness, full of faith, not fear, full of mercy for those who harm you. And so that's why you have to see these patterns, to be led to a meal where God serves his enemies. Through his chosen man, a prophet, of mercy. Jesus, the better Elisha. Right, this story is a beautiful preview of Easter, of how God makes the blind see through Jesus. Elisha is just a dim shadow of the better prophet of mercy, Jesus Christ. You got this one story here with Elisha saying, let's eat with sinners, our enemies. Feed them. For Jesus, this was his ordinary way of living. That's what enraged his enemies, that he would cross lines as a, as a religious person to eat with tax collectors and sinners. It's Matthew 9. He said, when he says that it, they, the Pharisees come complaining, why does your teacher eat with such horrible people? And Jesus responds with, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call those who think they're okay, the righteous, but for those who are sinners, those who know they're not okay. And how did Jesus open the eyes of, of his friends to see this? He ate meals. And you got to see how scandalous this is. It is as outrageous as Israelites serving their Syrian enemies steak. It's a meal of kindness where Jesus as king, as your Lord, as your creator, has every right to give you justice, but chooses mercy. That's what life in the kingdom of God is like. We read it in Luke 13. I mean, did you hear Jesus say that? What life will be like at the end of all things is going to be a feast where you get to eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but also all those from the nations, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Um, it's a great feast where enemies will come by grace, gathered around Jesus. All who had the same testimony, I once was blind, but now I see. Meaning this mercy is for you or if you are human, <laughs> a sinner. Whether you're a Syrian tyrant, a Hebrew prophet, right? an American, an Asian, African, Latin American, doesn't matter who you are. The gospel on Easter weekend is, is telling you, let Jesus lead you to the man you are looking for, himself. 
Let him lead you to the security you're looking for in the midst of your fears, to the power you need to love people like this. It's a meal where we celebrate it normally together, communion. We remember that Christ died. That's when Jesus says at the meal to open your eyes to see this is my body, which is broken for you. Then he says this cup, which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is for the remission, the forgiveness of your sins. He says that to his enemies. As he's feeding the disciples. And then that evening, that faithful evening, Jesus, the better Elisha, the true Elisha, he too found himself surrounded by soldiers who wanted to kill him because he had shown mercy. Peter, like the blind king of Israel, pulls out a sword ready to fight, but Jesus heals him and says, don't you know that I could call down legions of angels? I could get God to protect me. I could call the chariots of fire to destroy them, but so that the scriptures might be fulfilled to show mercy to my enemies. I'm not going to fight. It's amazing grace. Jesus is the man you're looking for. The one who loves you to the point of death, even for his enemies. It's a meal that satisfies our thirst for vengeance because we receive mercy. It's a meal that feeds us confidence that God actually loves you. Because if he kept me safe at the cost of his life when I was an enemy, how much more will he care for me now? As Paul would write, if God is for us in Christ Jesus and was not ashamed to give up his only beloved son for us, who can be against us? He will care for you. His grace will carry you to this point and his grace will carry you home because his grace was fought for you while you were yet his enemy that Easter weekend. Now, to conclusion, I want to stop here, but at the same time, there's one more cool connection. Because after the cross, it wasn't just the death of Jesus that happened. After the cross, nobody really understood. They didn't have this experience yet. It was Resurrection Sunday when people started to see. Because the cross left everyone confused. If you're in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, you have, remember those two disciples having this conversation where they're just still trying to see and understand what happened, where they still think of God's mercy and power as just being for one people group, not for the world. And they said, I thought Jesus was the man. I thought he was going to keep us safe. Resurrection isn't on their radar. And then Jesus comes along, much like Elisha leading the Syrians, <laughs> probably smirking. That's what I imagined. Um, but he says, what are you talking about? And they turn to him and say, what, are you the only guy, the only clueless guy who missed everything that happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus, again, probably, was, I think he's, he's got to have a sense of humor here. He says, what things? And they said, well, Jesus, the prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel, to help us. Besides all this, now is the third day since these things had happened. 
These are disciples. They cannot recognize the risen Jesus. They're blind to their own blindness. And then Jesus says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Oh, you sweet blind fools, basically Jesus says. And then he explains the story, the story that's about him. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Right. He told them the Easter story. He says, let me tell you how to read the Bible. It's about the Messiah who lives, who loves sinners, who dies to forgive their sins, to feed them a meal. He's resurrected on the third day. is going to bring God's kingdom from heaven to earth. And at the end of all things, all nations are going to feast together with Jesus as the host. And they still don't see it until they eat a meal together. And this is what's so cool. Right? Jesus finishes his Bible class. And they, they ask him to eat dinner with them. And while they're eating dinner, he's at table with them. He takes the bread. He breaks it. He blesses it and gives it to him, gives it to them. And at once, their eyes are opened and they recognized him. Jesus vanished from their sight and they said, did not our hearts burn within us when we finally understood the scriptures, when he opened to us the Bible? So here's the point. We'll conclude and then we'll sing. Friends, to the, it's not be like Elisha. It's to the extent that you see Jesus, the risen Jesus who had his body broken, his shed blood for you, risen on the third day, that you have God with you to teach you how to learn, teach you how to live and love like Elisha. But you really need a real, we need a real resurrection. Jesus, who is God's prophet and king, who leads you to a feast of mercy at great expense, his own blood, to show you that he will, is your friend. He will, he will transform you from his enemy to his friend by mercy. And then he says, follow me. I set you free, now follow me. See, the resurrection, Easter, that's what this text is about, is what will happen because of the resurrection. It's your invitation to come to the great feast at the end of all things when we will toast to Jesus, to death itself dying, when we weep tears of joy at the mercy we found, not just by ourselves, probably with people you would never expect to be there because God showed them mercy too. Right. So if you want this resurrection power, this is the kind of person you're going to be formed into. You're going to be kind, even to people who do not believe like you. If you believe in the resurrection, you're going to be the kind of person like Elisha, who shows mercy to your enemies. That's Paul in Romans 12. Be kind to your enemies. Even though we as Christians believe Jesus is the only way, because of the resurrection, because we receive mercy, that teaches us to love and embrace our enemies as Christ did to us. Maybe even be patient with those you're stuck with while you're isolated at home <laughs> because you've tasted and seen his grace. Right. Lastly, the more you see the resurrection, the more you meditate on the resurrection, it will give you courage. doesn't mean you won't have times of fear. When you realize that 
that Christ has risen and this is now your story and death itself can't harm you, that sets you free to love even at your own cost. Because you know that God will defend you because you're in Christ Jesus. The chariots of fire are on your side in the Son, Jesus. And so I pray, I wish we could take communion. We'll do that whenever this, uh, we're allowed to get back together again. But let us go today celebrating the resurrection of Christ, having seen this meal of grace that was provided for us by the death and resurrection of our Savior, and go forth as courageous witnesses of his mercy to us. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Go and learn what that means. Let's pray. Father, that we went through a long story, but I pray you would just burn, you would open our eyes that, to see the wonder of a God who serves his enemies, who loves us while we're not well, in order to open our eyes to see the beauty of your grace and the power of your resurrection, that in Christ you are starting to make all things new, beginning with us. So I, I pray for courage for those who know you. I pray for the courage to love well in the midst of these hardships. And I pray for those who do not yet know Jesus, who may be listening, uh, Lord, that I pray like Elisha, open their eyes, that they might see the eyes and the hands and the feet of Jesus serving them. And he says, this is my body broken for you. So grow us faith in these days in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's Let's say the Lord's Prayer together as John gets set up, and then we are going to sing, Is He Worthy? And so let's, let's pray together. It says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. John, will you lead us? Christ is worthy. If feel the world is broken, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all again? Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? 
Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, Every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and glory and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? He is. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? He We end our service with a benediction. Uh, this is from Numbers chapter 6. It's a good word from our God. May the risen Jesus, our Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you his peace that was bought with the blood at the cross. Go as his witnesses. Amen. <laughs>